0: Well, I imagine that in um, recent years, most of us have had the experience of looking forward to a celebration of some kind, but then missing out. Um, COVID, of course, has interrupted so many of our plans. Um, in my extended family, uh, we had tried to get together with my mum and dad uh, my and my siblings and their families. Uh, we tried to do that on two occasions and had to be cancelled. Um, one because of extended lockdowns, another because some in the family got covid Um, And it was only just at this Christmas time uh, that uh, for the first time in three years all of us were able to get together. So I'm sure that most of us know that feeling of looking forward to some event or celebration uh, but then that feeling of missing out. And uh, really it's that feeling of missing out that we see uh, here in chapter 2 of Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica. If you see there in verse 1, Um, of chapter 2, Paul now comes really to the main topic that he wants to address in this letter, which is about the coming, about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see there what he says in verse 1? It is concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Uh, That's the main topic that Paul wants to address uh, and to write about to this young church. And the reason he does so is because, as we'll see, they are afraid that they might have missed out uh, on this great day, on this great celebration. Uh, They're worried that they might have missed out on the coming of the Lord Jesus and being gathered to him. And when you think about that, I mean, that of course puts our plans and events and celebrations into perspective, doesn't it? Because, I mean, here is one event, here is one celebration that you certainly do not want to miss out on. Um, so this is the situation that Paul addresses. And as we'll see, he writes to encourage this young church, this probably quite small but devoted group who are feeling anxious and unsettled. Uh, he writes to encourage them. And as uh, we work our way through our passage today, here are uh, just three things we'll see, a couple of headings to help us work through. I uh, will see firstly how he really calls them to be calm, uh, because they haven't missed out. And so there's no need to be anxious. Um, but then second, he calls them to be alert, um, because the day of the Lord is coming, and as God's people, we are to make sure that we are ready and to live in light of that coming day. And thirdly, he calls them to believe, he calls them to hold on to the truth that they have received in the gospel, because it is by believing in the gospel that we are assured of not missing out, but assured of being gathered to the Lord Jesus on that great And final day of his return. Um, But firstly, as we begin, um, we see how Paul calls for calm, um, and uh, the reason why he needs to do that. We see as we begin in verse one. So let me just read those verses again. He says, "Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us." whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So you see what's going on there? Some new teaching has made its way to this Thessalonian church, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. That is, that the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return as promised and all of his people will be gathered to him, they've been told that it's come and they missed it. Uh, Now, we don't know how the Thessalonians uh, have been exposed to that new and wrong teaching. Verse 2 there seems to suggest that uh, it might have come by a letter, uh, supposedly from Paul and the other apostles. Um, And it's interesting, if you look just to the end of this uh, letter, if you look over to 3 verse 17, Paul makes this little comment. He says, I write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters seems like as he writes this one, he wants them to know that this is genuinely from him. Um, But however this false teaching made its way to them, what what is clear is that it is causing confusion and distress uh, within the church. And so Paul writes here to tell them uh, more about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he writes with the purpose of bringing some calm so that they won't be alarmed, thinking that somehow they've missed out. Now, I think for us as we uh, read this, well, we might think, isn't that a bit strange uh, that the Thessalonians would think that they might have, uh, you know, that Jesus might have come back and they missed it? Um, Because we know, don't we, that when that day comes, well, everyone will know. Uh, There will be no missing it. Um, And there's so many verses in the New Testament uh, that we could uh, think of that describe it. Just a couple of verses, 1 Corinthians 15 Uh, The last trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and all will be transformed. Uh, 2 Peter 3, on that day the heavens and the earth will pass away and the works that are done in it will be exposed and a new heavens and a new earth will come. Uh, Jesus teaches about it in uh, Matthew 25. He says that the Son of Man will come in glory and all of his angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne. See, so as we read our Bibles today, well we have quite a lot of teaching, don't we, about the coming of Jesus. Uh, we know that well, we know that no one knows when that day will be, but we know that, that when it comes, no one will miss it. But I think as we come to this letter, we need to remember that the situation for the Thessalonians is is quite different to us. Um, because compared to us, they've probably received only a very small amount of teaching. Um, they don't have a New Testament to read. Um, what they have is probably that initial three weeks uh, that Paul was with them when he went there and shared the gospel and established the church. Um, they then have that follow-up letter, First Thessalonians, where Paul begins to answer some of their questions about the day of the Lord. But they probably don't have much more than that. And um, the two letters of Thessalonians are some of the first that Paul wrote. Um, It's still decades until the Gospels will be completed and started to to spread around. So it's quite different, isn't it? Here is a church with very little knowledge, and sadly they are being thrown off course by false teaching. And so Paul here writes to them to correct them. And firstly in verse 2, he says that he doesn't want them to become easily unsettled. And that's actually a bit of an admonishment to them because what he's referring to there is not them becoming kind of emotionally unsettled, but um, unsettled in their beliefs, wavering in their beliefs. He's saying they shouldn't be so quick uh, to change their opinion. They shouldn't be so fast to leave behind the teachings that they've heard from the apostles. Um, At the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul had instructed them to test all prophecies. Uh, But it seems here that some word or some prophecy, some false teaching has made its way through. And so Paul, he calls on this church to not abandon the things that they'd been previously taught and received from him and the other apostles. And I think as we reflect on that, well, there's a clear application for us, isn't there? Indeed, I think for Christians in every time and place, um, is the need that we see here to hold fast to the truth that we have received Uh, ...from the apostles and uh, to not shift from it. Uh, Because like for the Thessalonians, we will hear other messages claiming to be the truth. Uh, But not every message that we hear is in accord with the truth of the scriptures. So that means that as you scroll through social media or as you maybe scroll through the channels... ...and you come across those late night preachers on TV well, we need to be able to discern what is true from what is false. And even as, as me and others stand here and open up God's word on Sundays, well, I want you to have your Bibles open so that you can see that the things that I'm saying are from the scriptures. And what that means, I think, for all of us is that we, we actually need to be making the most of the opportunities that we have to grow in our knowledge of God and his word. And so let me challenge you at the beginning of this new year that as you make plans and resolutions for the year ahead, well make sure that you are making space for ways that you can be growing in your knowledge of God and his gospel, Uh, making space for personal Bible reading, Uh, making space for meeting up with others to read the Bible with them. Uh, It might mean making deliberate decisions to not take on extra commitments that are going to squeeze out what is most important. Now we travelled to Sydney last week and maybe some of you have done some travelling recently as well. One tip that I've... um, It's always hard, isn't it, to pack everything that you need into the car. One tip that I've picked up as you pack the car is that if you want to fit everything in, then you put the big things in first. Uh, You get the big things in and then you can pack all the little things in around it. Well, as we begin the new year, we'll make sure that you put the big things, the most important things, in first. Uh, Make time with God and growing in him your priority. Make sure you get those things locked in the calendar. Because imagine how the Thessalonians must have longed for the kind of knowledge of God and the revelation of the gospel that we have in the pages of the Bible. Uh, Let's be people who treasure that and who grow in that in 2023. Well, here we see Paul writes to um, fill in some gaps in the knowledge of the Thessalonians. So He doesn't want them to be unsettled or alarmed. Um, He writes to bring some calm and clarity to their understanding about the day of the Lord. Um, And so as we continue in verse 3... Uh, the first thing he makes clear is that they haven't missed out on the day of the Lord. He assures them of this um, as he now speaks about some things that will take place before that day comes. So verse 3, he says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, there's an easy couple of verses for the new Year's is there? Well, uh, before we get um, too caught up in the details, um, I think we want to just notice the main intention. Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you. Um, he says, certain events are going to come before the day of the Lord. Uh, He affirms here that those events have not occurred yet. Uh, That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now Paul says those things in a very straightforward way, doesn't he? And um, the effect is to assure the Thessalonians that they haven't missed out. Um, I think the intent is to bring them some calm and comfort and no doubt it, it probably would have had that effect on the Thessalonian church. Um, But for us, and I think probably for everyone who's read these verses ever since, um, calm and comfort are probably not the kind of feelings that come from reading those verses. It's really the opposite, isn't it? And as you read that, well, maybe you think, I mean, what is this rebellion that's going to take place? Who is this man of lawlessness yet to be revealed? And it doesn't take much research to find all kinds of theories. Um, Through church history, there's been lots of different attempts to identify who this might be referring to. Uh, who this man is who opposes God and sets himself up in the place of God. Uh, Martin Luther said that this was um, the Muslims as Islam was taking over the world. Um, some of the church fathers, really from the early church fathers right through to the reformers, uh, saw this as the Pope as he set himself up as the universal bishop over the church. Um, And if you go hunting on the internet about this, which I strongly recommend you don't, I mean, you'll find all kinds of people identifying who this man of lawlessness is, um, often, you know, with the nastiest contemporary political figure of the day. So there's a lot of ideas out there. I mean, what do we do when we come to a text like this? Um, I think the first thing that I'd want to say is that we do need to have some humility here. And one particular reason is because of what Paul actually says there in verse 5. So he says there to the Thessalonians, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. See, clearly Paul has taught them before about this. Um, But the problem for us is that what he said to them before is not recorded for us. So we only really have half the conversation. Uh, They might be able to piece it together, but... With our limited information, I think we need to be quite careful about being too definite about what's being said. But to try and attempt some kind of clarity, I think there are some things that we can say. One, thing, one key thing to note, I think, is what we're told there in verse 7, where it says that the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And then uh, if you connect that to verse 9, where he adds that the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Now that suggests to me that what um, Paul is speaking of here is probably quite similar to what John writes about uh, when he speaks about the Antichrist, or better, the Antichrists. So a couple of verses in 1 John 2, he says, This, dear children, this is the last hour, Uh, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. He also says in 1 John 4, But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So I think what we're told in the New Testament is that there will be many who will oppose God and the gospel, denying um, and deceiving uh, people about the truth about Jesus. And that has happened really all the way through the history of the church. And it will keep happening. And probably I think our verses are saying here, with a final climactic representative just prior to Christ's return the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. I think that's what's indicated in verse 6 and 7, where Paul speaks of something or someone holding back this lawless one. Now, who or what is holding him back is also difficult to be certain about, but it it could simply be that he's being held back from appearing while his power is being exercised through others. And when that is over, well, then the lawless one himself will be revealed. But take a look at then what happens when he is revealed. Uh, Verse 8 says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming. Now friends, I think it is not easy to unravel some of the details in these verses, but the, the main intent of the passage is that Paul wants his readers to be aware of the times in which they live, that in these last days that there will be those who oppose them and the gospel as Satan continues to be active in our world, But of course he also wants them not to be alarmed because don't we see here so clearly who it is that is ultimately in control. In verse 8 here it should, should shift our focus from whatever questions we have about this man of lawlessness. It should shift our focus to the man Jesus and his power and his splendor and the promise of his coming. Now, it was just um, recently that I learned the story behind those um, pictures that you see sometimes, those Keep Calm and Carry On uh, pictures. I don't know if you've seen that. You might have those on a mug or a tea towel at home. Um, well, Keep Calm and Carry On was a motivational poster uh, that was produced by the government of the UK in 1939 in preparation for World War II. Uh, and the poster was intended to kind of raise the morale of the British public as they were threatened with widely predicted uh, mass air attacks on major cities like London. Now, I don't know for you, but if air raids were coming, well, I think if all of the information that I had was a poster that said, keep calm and carry on, I'm not sure that would keep me very calm. But it's so different, isn't it, this battle that we are caught up in. You know, as Christians, we know that there is this spiritual battle that is going on all the time, but we, we can carry on and we can be calm because we know that the victory has been won. Because we know that at the cross, the Lord Jesus triumphed over every evil power. And when we're told here, when Satan and evil do make a final stand, well, we're told here that Jesus will appear... And in a moment, his enemies will be overthrown by the breath of his mouth and destroyed by the splendour of his coming. That will be the great day of the Lord and the day that his people are gathered to him. And friends, that is a day that we don't want to miss out on. Now that's how the passage began, isn't it? The Thessalonians were worried about missing out on that great day. Well, as we come to the end of our passage, it, it really finishes now with a call to believe. Now, because Paul now tells us that it's those who refuse to believe the gospel. Well, it's they who will be the ones who do miss out. So we've been told so far that the lawless one and the power of Satan are at work in our world. Uh, in verse 10, that that, uh, we're told that that work is that they are deceiving those who are perishing. And that's what Jesus was so clear about as well when he said that this, uh, Satan is the father of lies, that is the deceiver. That is the one who does all that he can to stop people believing the truth about Jesus so that they perish. Now you see the end of verse 10, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So those who will not receive the truth will not obtain the blessings of the gospel. And then verse 11, as a result of having rejected the gospel, well, God begins to execute his judgment in what to us I think is probably a very surprising way by sending a powerful delusion. I think this is like in Romans 1 where we're told that God hands people over uh, to the very sin and error that they embrace. And the result is that those who have rejected the gospel, well, they believe the lie that Satan has told them. And verse 12 then describes the judgment that will come. All will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now friends, they are a sobering couple of verses, aren't they? I mean, it's sobering because it reveals that there are only two outcomes on the day of the Lord. There's salvation and condemnation. Is being gathered to the Lord and perishing without him. And as we see that today, as we see that really stark contrast, then I hope that you can see the great need to make sure of being ready for the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is coming and so we need to be ready. Now, I saw an article um, this week, which I guess is just one of those ones that rolls around because it's the start of the new year. It was about getting ready for the end of the world apocalypse, I guess if that happens in 2023. Um, uh, in the US, uh, if you want to get ready right now, uh, you can buy an underground bunker in South Dakota. Uh, one room will cost you $200,000. Um, But it does come supplied with everything you need to live in it for a whole year. Um, It includes underground water wells, uh, air purifiers. I should have put some pictures up, shouldn't I? Uh, Even includes 20,000 sheets of toilet paper to get you through the year. Now, look, selling rooms like that, you know, it's probably a good way for someone to make money uh, playing on people's fears. But, friends, I hope that as we reflect on this part of God's Word today... That we can see that that is not the way to get ready for the end of the world. Now, the way to get ready is to believe the truth, it is to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on that day, when He is revealed, that, that is the great day of the Lord, and everyone will know, and every knee will bow to him who reigns forever and ever. And so now is the time to come to him. Now is the time to believe in him and to live with him as your king. Because for all who will do that, well, we can look forward to that day with great hope and anticipation of the coming of the Lord and the day when we'll be gathered to him. Let me pray as we uh, consider those things today. <clears throat> Our Father God, we do want to thank you today for this part of your Word, uh, Lord. We know there's some challenging uh, verses here for us to try and understand, but Lord, we thank you that in your kindness, uh, that you have made something so clear to us, that you sent Jesus to come and to die for our sins, to be our saviour. We thank you that you raised him again as Lord and King over all. And we thank you today for this promise of his coming. And I pray that you would help, help each of us to be ready and help us to be those who make known the news of your gospel so that many more would be saved and made ready for that great day of the Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.